0: The following message was given by Mark Becton on Sunday, October 29th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. We're going to look at all of chapter 5 today. So, uh, normally we would read the whole chapter, but since we are going to go through the whole chapter, we'll just take it a piece at a time. But also let's, let's tie together chapter 5 with what we have understood about Hebrews to this point. You remember that God inspired the book of Hebrews to be written to Jewish believers. And you also understand that in a church gathering like this you'll have those who are followers of Christ. And you'll have those who are wanting to know more about following Christ. And you'll have those who feel they are followers of Christ but have yet to truly Be adopted by Christ. You have all of that in that mix. And with these Hebrew followers as a community you'll have that as well. And they are experiencing persecution. No blood has been drawn yet. It's not like in Acts chapter uh, 7 when Stephen is stoned and they all scatter. This is different. This is just the precursor to what they feel is coming. And just the feel of that is causing many of them to say, maybe we should just go back to Judaism. Maybe we should just stop following Jesus altogether. So the whole matter right now, when we get to chapter 5, is dealing with trust issues. They just haven't trusted enough to stay faithful even in the hard moments. So, I'm going to first talk about the Reader's Digest article that was published in 2013. Uh, they surveyed a thousand Americans, and prior to doing this, they identified themselves, 200 of America's opinion shapers, leaders, headline makers, and they gave those 200 names to the Wagner Group. This was a research group that formed the survey that they gave to a thousand Americans. And from those, 200 names, they identified uh, the 100 most influential or trustworthy people. Here's the top 10 in 2013. Number one, Tom Hanks. Two, Sandra Bullock. Three, Denzel Washington. Four, Meryl Streep. Five, Maya Angelou. Number six, Steven Spielberg. Number seven, Bill Gates. Number eight, who is Alex Trebek? (laughs) Number nine, Melinda Gates. And number 10, Julia Roberts. So I saw these names and in 2013, Billy Graham was 95 years old. I just wondered, where did he fall on this list? 67th. 67th. So I just began to scratch my head and wonder why are we trusting the actors, directors and game show hosts more than one who has faithfully proclaimed Christ and the gospel of salvation as good news. So John Stott was a pastor in England and he recently passed away. His opinion was this distrust began around the enlightenment which is around the 1700s. But I'd have to push back even further. Uh, You can go all the way back to the first century. To the book of Hebrews. And find even there a sense of distrust. For the following reasons. What we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 5. Is that you'll have those who are beginning to fall away. And begin to trust another belief. Another faith. Or maybe just to have a numbness to spiritual things instead of Christ. Because... They've lost a trust in God's call. They've lost a trust in God because of the personal pain they're experiencing. And they've lost a trust because they didn't have a foundation. They were spiritually immature. All three of these are in chapter 5. So let's start with verses 1 through 6 when It identifies they lost a trust in God's call. We'll unpack this as we look at it. Look at verses 1 through 6. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this. He is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God. It's not earned, it's not achieved. When called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, by God, who said to Christ, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now before we jump in any further, one of the issues with distrusting God's call is because there are many pastors who see their role as a career choice rather than a call from God. Uh, When I was in seminary, I I earned income so we could eat by cleaning the apartments at the seminary. My boss told me uh, one afternoon, she had a young man withdraw from the seminary. and She said, why? His words. Because I was looking for an easy job. I thought pastors only worked on Sundays and somehow people still loved them for it. (laughs) For him it was a career choice and not a call. For Christ, when he looks at his pastors, it was always intended to be a call and they were to feel it as he did for his sheep. This is what he says in John chapter 10 verses 11 through 13. We see this in pastors, it's sad to say, but it's nothing new under the sun. You can go back to the Old Testament priests with which the text is referring. You'll have Eli's sons. Eli was a high priest. His sons would come in and have the priestly duties. They would sleep with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting in 1 Samuel chapter 2. So God killed them and put Samuel in the place. Samuel is now the priest and judge of God's people. However, Samuel's sons took bribes and perverted justice in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And that's just a snippet from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you have the high priest Caiaphas. This is the one who unjustly judged Christ and incited the Jewish people to cry, crucify him. His father-in-law, who had been high priest, was named Annas, and his ungodliness was worse. Annas instituted a, pr- a practice where the priests would judge what animals were to be offered in sacrifice, which is biblical. But when you wanted to travel the distances, you had to purchase them at the temple complex. So they already gave you a, a convenience to purchase it there. However, you could not use your Roman currency, you had to use the temple currency, and the exchange rate benefited. Annas and his family as well as the sale of the animals. So you can see why this is something that's addressed in Scripture and begins to address each of us today. As often is the case, people look at the shady lives of some and cast the rest under the same shadow. The Hebrews did that with the priests Just as some do that with pastors today. It makes it easier to ignore their message and subsequently anything taught about Jesus. That's why it's important to reclaim a trust in God's call. And from God's call a renewed trust in the message of Christ. So that means we need to look at the text and the purpose behind God's call to the priests and bridge it to pastors. Look at verse 1. It says, For every high priest chosen, other translations say taken, from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This word taken appears other places in the New Testament and also dealing with a relationship. In Mark chapter 12 verse 19 it's talking of taking, same word, a wife, In Acts chapter 15 verse 14, it talks of God taking from the Gentiles a people for his name. And then you have in Exodus this same picture where God was taking from the tribe of Levi a people and then a person who would be the high priest. It's to a unique relationship with God and for a unique purpose for God. So what's unique relationship and purpose? Again, back to verse 1. They were called by God as high priest, appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Now here's the challenge for the priests that I mentioned, Eli's sons, Samuel's sons, and pastors that we have seen. The challenge is when this is reversed. It's it's when the pastor feels because of the generosity of the congregation that he has an income and wants to keep that income. That he will then be swayed by what they desire in the moment. Or purely because he wants to keep peace within the body. And feels uh, wonderful and warmed when everybody likes him. He'll go with what they desire even though they continue to inch. One inch at a time in compromise to Christ. It's more of a fear of the people like Saul in the Old Testament. Rather than a fear of God. So, because God is gracious, His purpose for the priests and pastors was and is to serve Him in meeting the greatest need of the people. And what is that? You'll find it in verse 1. To offer both gifts and sacrifices for their sins. In the New Testament, our role according to many texts as pastors is to teach, to pray, to oversee, to shepherd, to equip And to do the work of an evangelist. In short, the priests of the old, like the pastors today, are called to serve a great God in meeting the people's greatest need. Submitting to and walking intimately with a holy God. That's the purpose. But let's talk about the person that God calls to that purpose. You find that in verses 2 and 3. I want you to know up front, God doesn't... His call doesn't make the priest or the pastor suddenly perfect. You find that he calls fallen men to the role. In Leviticus chapter 16, it says, before the high priest could ever approach God for the sins of the people, he first had to approach God for his own sins. There's a flawedness in the priests, a flawedness in the pastors, because it's purposed by God. They know what it's like to have to ask the Father's forgiveness. They know what it's like for the Father to persistently love and offer forgiveness. And out of that, the priests, the pastor, should be able to deal gently with God's people, just as God deals gently with them. You find that in verse 2. That word, deal gently, It is a huge Greek word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Now there's a Greek scholar though named William Barclay who writes this about what that word deal gently in the Greek means. He said it means the ability to bear with people without getting irritated. It means the ability not to lose one's temper with people when they are foolish and will not learn and do the same thing over and over again. No man can ever deal with his fellow man unless he has this strong and patient God-given ability to deal gently with others. And the Father calls fallen men who have to acknowledge how patiently God has to deal with them. So that out of the overflow and the honesty, the vulnerability. We want to give that same grace to deal gently with those under the pastor's care. So, when God calls the priests of the Old Testament, pastors of the New Testament. And they fulfill God's purpose, God's way. When they help people know and walk intimately with God. And when they nurture the relationship with humility, empathy and gentle strength. Why wouldn't the people respect what they have to say of Christ? Why wouldn't they want to keep walking with God? Even when it's hard. Yet because there have been times. That the priests of the Old Testament. Pastors of the New Testament. Every day. Our fallenness has been evident. We seem to attribute that to Christ. And sadly we begin to ignore the call of God on Christ's life and His purpose for our good. You find that in verses 4 through 6. Look at it again. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only one when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt Himself to be made high priest. He didn't earn it. He didn't buy for it. It was appointed to him by God, the one who said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now verse verse 5 explains, Jesus didn't exalt himself to be made high priest. It also labels him as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Why is that a beautiful statement? We really don't know Melchizedek, but it's in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. He's identified both as a king and a priest. And in the likeness of Melchizedek, Christ is a king and our priest. But better than Melchizedek, Christ's reign and lordship, his priestly position is eternal. And we find our rest, our delight... Our joy in that. Listen. um, When I have talked with individuals. Who used to find themselves walking with Christ. And then over time just found themselves walking away. We would talk about it. And usually the word hypocrite would come up. Somewhere, somehow. And it was a disappointment with God's people. But I can tell you this the deepest wounds and the longest cuts came when that word was applied to the pastors. That's a longer one to heal. So in, in, in desiring to be strong, I've often been in small groups with men. Uh, and before I, I get into that group with the men I, I let all of them know up front the following. I want to apologize to you up front, at some point I'm going to disappoint you. Because we will meet regularly and our conversations will be honest and deep, I will likely say something or you will learn something about me that will disappoint you. It will naturally happen because I'm flawed. I share this up front so I won't be so guarded with him. I need a group where I can be honest about my flaws. I also share with them so they won't project my flaws onto Jesus. They need to judge Jesus on His own merits. When they judge Jesus on His merits instead of my imperfections, it alleviates any trust issues that may surface because of my flaws. However, I wish these were the only trust issues issues people have with God. It's not just with God's call. The trust issues we're seeing in Hebrews that bridge even to our life are trust issues over painful experiences. With the issues of the priests and the pastors, the disappointment is with somebody that you can blame. What makes this next one harder because you don't want to say it out loud it's when you are now disappointed with God and it begins to erode the trust issues with Christ you find that in verses 7 through 10 look what it says in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and He was heard because of his reverence. Parentheses. Was able to save him from death. Was heard and yet God did not. Although he was a son. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Stay where you are in Hebrews chapter 5, but take your Bibles to, Matthew, uh, to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Christ prayed. God could have spared his life. And God didn't. And through this it says Christ learned obedience. We'll talk about all of that. Let's first talk about the prayer he prayed. You'll find it in Mark chapter 14 verses 32 through 36. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began uh, to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Most of us have a favorite movie. One that we've watched again and again and again. So that before a line is spoken by our favorite actor. We were saying a line ahead of time. What is sad about those, moments, those movies we rewatch, we, we lose that initial awe that we had the first time we saw it. That's the reason sometimes we buy it. To get the extra bonus stuff. To learn more things about the movie we love. Sometimes the prayer that Jesus just prayed. Is so familiar to us. We, we need to go back and see some bonus material Uh, let me just share with you what I'm sharing is biblical it's not just extra biblical it's biblical it's just going into the text a little further where he is praying is called Gethsemane the word itself means oil press so there are olives around that would be taken to the oil press and literally have the juices squeezed from them and that's where Christ is praying this prayer agonizing over this is what God has purposed for him, but fully knowing all that it is going to mean. And it says that he is in terror over what is to come. Furthermore, you'll find that it says he fell to the ground. The beauty of the Greek language is it gives you technicolor. There's a grammar here that means he keeps falling to the ground. So you and I have been there before where we are anguishing over something that is before us and we, we don't want to step into it. We don't want to stay in it. So we just keep praying to the Father. We fall before Him. We feel like we've shared everything that we can share. We, we get up from that moment and realize nothing has changed and we fall before Him again. This is a repeated thing and this is what Christ is going through in Gethsemane. But there's something even more Telling it's how he prays. Abba, Father. For the the Jew, Abba was Daddy. So with all of that in mind, here's what Jesus is praying. He's saying, Daddy, please, don't make me do this. Please, Daddy. You can stop this. You can figure out another way. Oh, Daddy, I don't want to be crucified. But if you say, I have to, I will. And there's something even richer here when you understand the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who wrote all of salvation before the beginning of the world, which meant Christ was part of this writing, knowing this would be coming, and yet is still saying, Father, do we have to? Please. Please. And it's in this it says that he learned or was taught obedience. What do you mean by that? Well, he's being obedient. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18, it says that when you and I are tempted, Christ is able to nurse us, nurture us, love on us, walk with us through that temptation. Because he's been there. This is what we're talking about with what Christ has done on our behalf. So God could have stopped us. He could have devised another way, but He didn't. Verses 8 and 9 explain why. First, learned obedience. We just talked about that. Second, by allowing Jesus' suffering, God perfected Jesus as a source of eternal salvation for all who believe. Perfected doesn't mean that there was something wrong with Jesus that needed to be fixed. It is a Greek word that means completed. This which was written by the Trinity before the foundation of the world. For God's glory. Our all and good. Has been completed by Christ. Even though Christ said, is there another way? Too often... We view the impact of our lives solely on the years that we live. Reading scripture, you see God linked lives to resolve the past or inspire the future. Priests, Christ, pastors, gospel, us. Your suffering may be part of a bigger purpose for God. Maybe you're suffering because... A family disgruntled with God for generations will now turn to Him. Or maybe your suffering deepens your family's faith for the future or shows someone in your family God's unique direction for their life. I've seen it before, but I'm not God. I can't tell you. If this is His purpose right now for your suffering, all I know is the purpose is bigger than you see. It should not cause you to distrust Him, but to trust Him more. And from personal experience and the experience of other believers that I respect, I know it's hard to do. Um, Somebody that has inspired me for years is Johnny Erickson Tata. Now, for baby boomers, you're nodding. Non-baby boomers are going, who? Her story's worth telling briefly. Uh, At 17, she was diving off Chesapeake Bay. And the dive caused her to be a quadriplegic for life. As a young woman, she would go to uh, particularly one church that uh, the individual was praying and they were seeing folks being healed. And so she got there and nothing happened. And now as an older woman, She writes a book called A Lifetime of Wisdom. In it, she describes the the following. I could press that still further and say that it was neither a direct assault from God or the devil, but simply the consequences living in a fallen world fraught with dangers, like shifting sandbars and shallow water in the Chesapeake Bay. The point is, I never did rise up out of my wheelchair after the little prayer meeting in the country church. But God was there. He was listening with tender compassion. He was lovingly holding the entire moment in His powerful and sovereign hands. Do your circumstances seem to be careening out of control? Remember that God is with you through it, loving you and caring. And allowing the details to play out exactly in accordance with His plan. When life seems wild, crazy, and utterly out of control, it is not. When it seems as though God has forgotten you or turned His back on you, tinkering with some other universe, He is not. When it seems like you have somewhere, somehow fallen out of His favor... Been edged outside the circle of his protection. Or missed the bus on his love. You have not. And that's what it means to walk by faith. Trust in God. Lori and I had the joy to hear her. And then meet with her afterwards. She was much older. And it was apparent. That the speaking had taken a toll on her. She was in pain. She graciously uh, talked with Lori and me as long as she could and then needed to move on. But even that moment, I know she would say what well, she just said here. That's true. Because she trusted God. that He's even in charge of something that hurt a lot. But sometimes, and I'll put my hat in here, It's pain or confusion over time that just becomes too weary in the moment and makes you want to throw in the towel and say, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And that's where we come to the end of the chapter. And basically, where I think God was leading us to through this writing in chapter 5 to talk about spiritual immaturity. Look what it says in verses 11 through 14. About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, the ABCs. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. Those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The Hebrews receiving this letter cannot dodge God's frustration with them. And since God's preserved it in his word, we, we can't dip down so we can look at somebody behind us. Uh, this is what God is saying even to us about spiritual maturity God is frustrated when we are chronically spiritually immature and he gives two word pictures to to let us hear that one is the word picture of verse 12 you're still in spiritual kindergarten by this time you should at least be in middle school but you're still dealing basically with writing and drawing the ABCs of what it means to follow Jesus. The second word picture is in verse 13. It's about eating. He said, you are still a child being nursed. How long will you remain in that condition? By now, you should know how to cut your own food and feed yourself spiritually What?" The word of righteousness. And the righteous one is Christ. That's because of that righteousness, he was sacrificed. He rose from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, which then can offer to us forgiveness, and we can be in Christ and seen as righteous by God. Yet all of that sometimes we miss because we don't work at it. The word dull of hearing. I I, I like when I get to hear other people use it. And this came from Plato. Plato was so frustrated with his students. He he used the same word for them, dull of hearing. He called them my stupid students. But what he was frustrated was not their incapability to learn these things. It's their lack of effort to know these things. And so you find that somehow with... This statement by Christ. And that's the reason he says in verse 14. What I really want is those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There is an effort there. Uh, The word translated distinguished is gymnazo. I I work to say that one. Because you'll hear it and how we use it in English. Gymnasium. If you want to work out, if you want to become healthy, if you want to become strong, you work at it. Spiritual maturity doesn't come just by blowing out the candle of a cake. It is something you work at. And praise God, He gives you the joy of growing in Him so that inspiration of doing it is solely in Him not to be seen as prideful in front of others for all the work you're putting in. So, there is a price to be paid for spiritual maturity. The price of agonizing effort. We must make the effort to understand the whole story of Jesus, not just the Twitter or podcast version, but in depth. In the depth account uh, that unveils the amazing aspects of God's nature and humbling traits of our own. Going in depth with Jesus' story is challenging, but trains our eyes to see good and evil. But seeing good and evil is not enough. We also have to work at responding to it the way Jesus would. Putting into practice what we have learned leads to spiritual maturity and grants strength to our legs to keep standing and walking and trusting in Christ. Even when it's hard. Whether disappointed by a pastor, disappointed by God. The maturity causes you to go back to the core of your trust and keep standing and walking. So that's the reason my my last little statement to you is just go with your gut. (laughs) It sounds kind of flippant, but when I explain it, I hope you'll see that it's not. Uh, Since it was necessary for God to send a community, this in the first century, He knows we need to hear it today. Therefore, when your faith is challenged by various trust issues, not only go over this chapter again, but go with your gut. I've opened this message, remember this, with the Reader's Digest, 2013. 2013. I still couldn't figure out why Billy Graham was 67. Especially when I saw another survey that was taken in 2014 that had him in the top 10. I thought, what well, what's the going on? Well, it's a difference between the surveys. Reader's Digest gave you names and said, pick from them. The Gallup poll just called a thousand people and said, who do you admire most? And let them from their gut. Say who they admired most, and for 57 years, Billy Graham was in the top 10. Too often, when we get to these trust issues, we'll start looking at other names for other opinions. Where honestly, if you and I are sincerely adopted by God, which means His Spirit is within us you come to a place where at the core your gut knows regardless of the pain, regardless of the disappointment, regardless of what you're facing and how long it has been, regardless of where you are spiritually in your maturity, it doesn't matter, at your gut because of Christ in you, you know you can trust Him. And therefore keep walking with Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this time. Your Word. Father, I thank You that You have persisted in loving me as I still sin. I thank You that You continue to deal gently with me even though You confront me I thank You, Father, that because of Your hand holding me in salvation that I am Yours even in the midst of my setbacks. Father, I thank You that I look at Christ and all that You've said of Christ in Your Word and know I can trust You, I can trust Him and keep following. I thank you for the exclamation point of Christ's cross. And that we get to be reminded of that weekly with the Lord's Supper. Broken body, shed blood. Father, I pray as we move into that portion now. That you will take the things that have been shared by your word. The things that you have bridged to our lives. Help us now, guide us now to have that honest conversation with you where it is either praise for your patience or asking forgiveness, uh, Father, for our sins. But, Father, as followers, prepare us to celebrate thankfully what you've done for us in Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. You've been listening to a Message by Mark Beckton, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.